Hello everyone. Welcome to LTV Talks. Today we have Andre with us. Uh, Andre is leading the CRM team at Wise uh, for the past three years, I believe, and has previously worked at companies like Memories and also as an independent marketing consultant. So he comes with a wealth of knowledge uh, around this topic and the idea was to actually get Andre in to talk about uh, how CRM looks like at fintech companies uh, such as Vice, which is my personal favorite. So, Andre, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the reason I wanted to talk to you uh, is because I think CRM at in fintech companies is something I don't understand or i have very little awareness about uh so enlighten us like what are you doing at uh, at wise and you know uh what does crm mean at wise itself yeah i think that's a good question and the answer kind of lays into going back two and a half years ago and um, thanks for thinking it's three years but i'm not quite there <laughs> uh it's, it's been sort of january 2021 uh, when I joined, there was uh, no CRM team back then. There was one person who was doing um, some support work for um, various different teams. There were various different people around the business who were sending emails to customers because we don't necessarily sort of can say comms because uh, it was mainly emails. Um, and then obviously, Weiss had been, around, had been around at that time for about 10, 10 years. Uh, it started as a money transfer company but evolved into a sort of more um it's not a bank and we, sh- we don't want to call ourselves a bank because when we, we sort of don't want to, to to be seen like that but it's a sort of multi-product financial um company where we offer cards accounts and now sort of in- investments as well so obviously the the money transfer bit was a has been for a very long time a very easy thing it was sort of super easy thing to understand there wasn't necessarily need for for sort of constant communication with customers other than some sort of some of transactions. Um, but obviously, as the product evolved, uh, we started to sort of see a bit more the need to do things like awareness around other products or sort of making people understand sort of how other products work and, and sort of increase adoption and and so on. And that being said, that's why sort of initially the the CRM team was um, was created. Um, but we evolved in the last sort of two years and a, and a half to own all of the, the comms at Wise because we truly believe that sort of when you talk to customers, it has to sound like it's a, a one brand with one voice that has a very consistent and coherent way of, of, of talking to, to customers. I know it goes back to the cliche in, in, in CRM, that it's the right channel, um, the right time, and sort of to the, the right people. And, the right content. Uh, yeah. The right, yeah, exactly. Right message, right time, right channel, and to, to the right people. Uh, but that's ultimately what, what happens in a, what I, I guess ha- has to happen in a company as, as big as, as wise, because if, if everyone would sort of start, uh, emailing customers at various different points that could create a lot of confusion in the the customer mind. So the way I see, and then the, the kind of CRM that we're creating at Wise, it's a I call it a complementary experience to the product. So if the product's really good, the um, and it speaks in in a certain way and sort of gives people a certain type of experience, the comms should complement um, that. And then that's why I kind of we're in that 
not necessarily weird position, but I think it's an interesting one where you sort of sit in between marketing and and uh, and and product. We're obviously a marketing team because we're responsible for growth, um, but we also um, own all of the transactional comms and we work with uh, with products on uh, on all of transactionals and also there's a, another sort of collaboration around launching new products and and all of the comms for for that. So. Back to your question, we're now owning all of the the comms at, at Wise, be them transactional, uh, sort of ad hoc or or, or lifecycle um, comms, and yeah, that's kind of where we are now. Super nice. Uh, what about when you were joining? Let's say uh, two. Let's call it three years ago uh, when you yeah. were joining the team, and uh, there was this one person, and I imagine like you know you were doing newsletter kind of uh, or ad hoc one off campaigns. Uh, maybe around product features or mo- maybe around news and things like that. Uh, when you came in, you know, how did that start evolving? Like there was a already like a buy-in from the team saying we need to increase this department. Was it organic or, or did you have to do something actively to change that perception? Yeah, um, I think that's a very good question. And you're right. Initially, there were a lot of uh, one-off campaigns whether there's a product launch or a specific feature or um, i don't know various different needs to do ad hoc um, campaigns um they were run primarily by product marketers so product marketing managers with the crm uh, person but um since i joined and we sort of started building the the team my initial um task was to make well to make to prove that crm works as a growth mm. uh channel um because that was one of the other big issues at, at that time we didn't really know whether there, it's worth doing crm or, or not so first thing for me was to try and find a way of measuring the the impact with some of these um things in place we'll do it um, if anyone's interested we do it based on incremental um value brought by by crm so we have control groups in place and uh, we measured the the difference. Once we we did that, and then we proved that it it works, um, and there's a sort of clear path towards extending the the team. That's when things like lifecycle journeys or automated journeys, depending on how people want to call it, started to to come into place. We started thinking about things like onboarding, uh, reactivation, retention. Uh, and all of the sort of lifecycle um, stages. So that's kind of the the direction in which we're evolving. We're still keeping a lot of the ad hoc um, campaigns because, uh, again, in a product-led company, launching products and talking about specific products is a very important important thing. And especially in a company like Wise, where it's sort of it's we're helping we're helping customers manage their their money. Um, mm-hmm. They are very interested about new products and sort of how existing products work for for them. So that part is still a, a pretty big part of what we're doing, but we're now moving towards automation uh, significantly, significantly more. I get it. And uh, one interesting thing that you mentioned, right, like uh, or showing CRM as a growth lever. I was wondering uh, where, uh, how did you define growth through CRM at that point? Was it purely in like let's say new signups or revenue growth or was it a retention growth or how did you go about defining and uh, also maybe shed a bit a bit of light on you know setting these control groups because i've heard a lot of uh, different opinions on how they should be measured uh, you know with the holdout group etc but yeah uh, keen to hear what you did 
Yeah, so um, we ended up, we had various different options at the beginning. We looked at uh, what we call volume in the first place, volume being the amount of money that you send from A to B. So if you send your friends and family a thousand pounds, the volume is a thousand pounds. Obviously, to that you apply fees and uh, and everything else, and that's how it sort of translates into revenue. But volume was a, and still is a, a metric that everyone understands at, at, at Wise, and it's fairly easy to uh, to measure, and it has a clear correlation with uh, with revenue. We started with that initially, which was fairly easy to do because there was sort of a, a few campaign. Well, the, the team was smaller; we didn't have that many campaigns. But as we evolved, we moved away from from volume per se, and then we created a bit of a KPI tree that's mm-hmm. uh, impacting. I'd say three major areas. One is the uh, sort of new customer area, which is mostly, for, for, for at least for now, we don't do any lead gen. We will do very soon. But um, from registration to new customer, there's a bit of a journey for us. So if someone, when someone registers, is when they create an account. They put obviously their email address and um, and a few a few details. But then a customer for us is someone who makes a, a transaction. So from the moment you put your uh, your details in and you make the transaction, it's obviously a bit of a uh, of a journey. So we're measuring our incremental impact on on sort of what we call registration to new customer, um, um, sort of conversion rate. Uh, so that's the sort of first uh, first area. The other area is the um, product adoption bit, which is once someone became a new customer, how do we make sure that they know and understand what all of the product are and obviously adopt as, uh, as many as they they can. And then the third one is once they adopt a specific products, how do we make sure that they uh, they keep using them and sort of they are active uh, as much as, as possible. In, in that sort of area, we're, we're starting to explore things like uh, reactivation as well, which is not necessarily mm. slightly different, but I think in a maybe if we talk again in six to twelve months, that probably will become a an, an area of uh, responsibility in uh, in itself. And these are the sort of three major areas that we 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 measure. Um, they all feed into our north star metric, which is LTV, because uh, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what we uh, try and and do increase the customer value at uh, at Wise. Um, Going back to the second part of your question, which is around control groups and, and holdout groups, um, we measure it in, we, we sort of have two things in, in place. And there's, in all, in full honesty, there's an ongoing debate around how to best use uh, holdout uh, groups. So I know that uh, it's not necessarily a, a finished uh, product, but the, um, the structure that we have at the moment is we have a global holdout group. Uh, which mm-hmm. is 10% of the audience that never receives anything. And then we um, measure channel level impact. So us as a, as a channel, um, we, we basically measure the impact on the treatment group, which is the 90% of the, the database versus the 10% in, um, of the database that's in the that sort of holdout group. That's on a channel level, but at a campaign level, we take another five to ten percent, depending on how big the the campaign is, to understand whether individual campaigns uh, work, and then sort of what's the incremental impact of those campaigns. What we wanna so the first one is obviously understanding the channel level impact, and then what's the 
the worth of the the channel and then what kind of growth the channel brings but the campaign level control groups helps and understands basically it's it, the, the easiest way i i put it to to everyone is was it worth sending this email yes or no or would have would people have done the same actions without receiving the the email and that's what obviously when you look at the the control group but that's more or less the the setup that we we use got it super nice and by the way when you say channel you mean crm is a channel not like uh, you wouldn't have yes. control groups for email uh, and no, no, different no, no, channels no. Okay. Uh, yeah a channel is a yeah a function or a channel for us a channel is okay. a so paid social is a channel crm is a channel right. paid display or a channel and so on perfect yeah i i've heard uh, i was recently talking to a data scientist about this and i feel like even uh it's it's weird but ab testing is one of those things where or measurement is one of those things where at least i you know i have done a lot of bunch of things but i never seem to have like a sure short way of doing it uh and uh, i i heard that uh, i think lenny's podcast has a new episode on ab testing and measurement so i hope it's a uh, very listen good one i i listened to it really. yesterday on the on the way to work it was is really good so i yeah yeah uh, it's on my list uh, i think that should at least help with some uh, clarity as well uh, um, it helps and it doesn't at the same time but i'll let you discover it and then we'll talk about it another time <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh one question i had for you was uh, you know when you're um, so you're measuring all these initiatives against like you know um, uh, against certain kpis and this would be uh, of course product adoption or transfer volumes etc one natural question was you know when i i work with uh, subscription apps a lot and there there is a definite relationship in you know in a concrete sense so i have actually signed up for a relationship uh, with that brand whereas for you it's more and i have been a vice customer for i think like since i came to germany so 8 years yeah uh, i've always been a vice customer and without a subscription right like technically speaking it's not a subscription now so i wonder like how do you look at uh, you know when you look at volumes and certain things like that are you able to move it with crm because i imagine people want to send money only at the time that they really want they transfer wise should or wise i should say should be top of mind uh, or is it uh, did you find that actually sending nudges does increase um, you know also transfer volume because product adoption i get right it's something that you launched a new card recently i was one of the first ones to get the green amazing cards and uh, you know so yeah how how did that look like for you and what did you find worked when it comes to like these transactional modules of things yeah um and you know you're right in saying that's also something that we don't want to do as in make people send more money than they want they have or they want to that's definitely not why we're here and then that goes against everything that why stands for um why we're here is on the money transfer side is yes to make people to make sure that we're on top of we were top of mind to to people and then that's one of the reasons why we do don't do that much right now for other than a bit of onboarding a bit of reactivation and a bit of retention for for sort of send money only customers um the only campaign what campaign the only journey that works for um uh, for send money it's abandoned transfers so if someone's mm-hmm. abandoning a transfer we 
come up with some of uh, some reminders like hey don't forget about your your transfer uh, and we usually give them a bit more information about how to to go about it there's different levels of, of transfers in terms of volume uh, the volume that you you send so there's high value um, transfers that obviously people when when they send vast like not huge because they're not necessarily huge the sort of higher amounts uh, of, of money they obviously it's a very different psychology in there when you send i don't know 50,000 whoever sent 50,000 hmm. pounds to <laughs> to someone you're probably a lot more nervous than when you send a 100 pounds or 100 euros and and so on so there's obviously different levels of um information that we give based on the the amount of transfer when someone drops out of the um of the flow that's the sort of money uh the money transfer side but most of the impact that we we do is on the other products so things like balances uh, which is more or less the the account the cars the investment uh, product and that's where you can get around um not necessarily asking people to do more because that's again be, be beyond sort of what why it stands for but making sure that once they have a need they will know about wise they will know about the cars they will know about the investments and then um, they'll we'll make sure they obviously they avoid as many fees as possible with banks and um, and 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 everyone um, else. So back to your your question, um, volume usually comes one on the product adoption because we know if someone adopts a product, there's a there's a clear incremental LTV that comes uh, with it for the next twelve months. Uh, but then also once they adopt the the product, we help them make, for instance, on on the card, go from the first transaction to the second transaction, and and um, and so on, because that's a more, um, I guess a more, um, I guess it's a more common way of using uh, a card as opposed to when you send money to some someone. We completely understand that's a very personal choice. There's people who send money, I don't know, back for for Christmas or. Um, Eid or um, various Diwali. of yeah Diwali and, and 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 so on. They send it once per year, and that's absolutely fine. And uh, but then there's other people who send it three, four, five, six times a day. Probably if you're a business or a sole trader, you have a very different um, behavior. And that's not necessarily something that we want to change. We just want to make sure that one, the next need to send money, it's there. We're top of uh, we're top of mind. Yeah, uh, there was this one uh, incident that I that came to mind when you were talking about like transferring money. Um, so, you know, when I was new in Germany and I was actually sending back money for Diwali, I think uh, just as a gift. I don't even remember, but I was talking to my dad and I was like, you know, I'm going to transfer some money. And he said, well, don't, you know, don't transfer the entire amount. First start with five euros just to see if the platform works. And I remember, uh, you know, at that like if you just think about the generational switch now i wouldn't even think before transferring money on wise and uh, it's such a tr- it has proven to be such a trustworthy source that in my you know in the days when my father used to transfer money it was such a cumbersome process so there's a huge <laughs> improvement yep. in in this and there's all definitely this trust factor that uh, that plays a huge role yeah, and absolutely. Uh, and then people right now are still having that behavior when they they come in for the the first time. It's a trial and error. Is in we try for for a small sum. Um, even my parents uh, or my wife's parents have done the the same thing. Is in like send you a small amount, see whether it works, and then 
sort of send the the rest and, and sort of vice versa. But that's I I think that's again sort of human um, psychology around uh, money. It's one thing to send as if you said like five ten euros, and another mm. thing to send a hundred like not a hundred like a thousand or or ten thousand or I don't know who receives. Yeah. 50,000 from, from people but there's there's definitely people out there who, <laughs> who receive that kind of money yeah and uh, going back to that cliche right i think uh, at least for someone in the fintech space this is super relevant because i think the two things that are of prime importance just gathering from like this conversation is having these right triggers to understand when someone wanted to send money but couldn't or if they sent money and they want to know the updates but then the second factor is also building this trust around and transparency, right? Around um, what we are doing with your money and where it is right now. Uh, just one small anecdote there. Once I transferred money using Deutsche Bank international transfer, it was one of the most horrible experiences in my life. I transferred uh, an amount to my friend. It was, I think, around thousand of euros, actually, because, um, you know, it's, uh, something I had to pay for and uh, I went to I did the online international transfer to their bank nothing happened he didn't receive the money in one week and then I went to Deutsche Bank I uh, asked them where the money was they said we have no idea what we can see is that we have sent the money and then in India the things work a bit differently you can usually talk to the banks in a bit more informal context and then they uh, inquired and found out that actually the money was stopped because of some clearance issue. And then they sent me a form to sign. Uh, and then and I sent the, uh, you know, I signed and sent the form. And then the money went through uh, with a huge fees attached to it. So it, it's a it's a, such a big improvement when you use something like Wise. Uh, and also I, I remember uh, seeing one of your posts, I think, around when Vice shows these competitor rates and at, at some point they showed a competitor which was offering better rates to a client and uh, like it builds such a high trust that even if they show that, I think just by showing that I want to trust them more, right? And I feel uh, Vice has done an incredible job at it. Yeah, thanks. For, and then I'm, I'm glad that sort of people see it um, that way because that's exactly the reasons why we do um, some of these things and then most of them are obviously props to, to different uh, product teams. Uh, but transparency, price fairness, and sort of making sure that everyone's... It's ultimately our job is to make sure that people don't get basically ripped off by, by banks. And then whether at some point they choose Wise or a competitor, that's not... As long as it's fair for, for them. In most cases, we're probably the sort of most affordable uh, option. But that being said, we've done a lot of research around um people coming for to wise for the price but actually staying for things like convenience and transparency uh, or the speed that sort of the money gets sent because you mentioned obviously it took a week uh and mm. then you haven't heard anything for us sometimes it, it i think 60 almost 60 percent of the transfer are, are instant for us instant is within 20 seconds um so yeah these are sort of definitely the main one some of the main pillars at, at, at wise and i'm glad that people still see it that way absolutely i think it's one of the highest retention factors for for me uh, especially one 
so you know you so you sort of came in you had this one person team you know you decided to show impact through uh, different kpis and you know how you measured was like through these holdout groups once you started showing impact was the next step to sort of uh, was to increase the team or was it to increase the channels that you were reaching out to customers on or how did that journey look like once you had established that there was some growth uh, that was to be had through CRM yeah um so what we decided to do was to actually increase the the team simply because there's there were so many and there still are so many areas that we can um we can cover um that's how we got to a team of 18 uh now where they're not all crm managers crm execs or sort of senior crm managers there's a we have copywriters we have product comms uh people we have a technical crm manager so it's a quite a mixed uh team in, in in that sense but the priority for us was once we show there's growth potential is to then put people into specific areas to then uncover additional growth in in for instance in regions uh, we, we cover more or less all of the the regions of the the world or on sort of global side we have specific product areas that we um, we cover and then we got people into these specific areas to sort of start uncovering more more growth doing more personalized um, comms understanding uh, more personalized and localized at the same uh, at the same time so understanding these um, segments and these sort of audiences a little bit better because what works for instance for a customer in the UK doesn't work for a customer in Japan which I think it's more or less should be um, common <laughs> knowledge but these kind of tweaks that's sort of what we what was the sort of next um thing for us so we have people for instance in apac people for europe and uk people for north um north america and, and latin america and the rest of the world and at the same time there's sort of global people who are matched to specific products so send money um the wise account and the cards uh, the invite program as well and now it's sort of the, the the investment one, and there's obviously other people for transactionals and and uh, and and so on. So that was the the sort of the the next thing, and also part of that was not just hiring people, but also consolidating um, some of the teams internally. Because, for instance, transactionals were done by a different team. We brought some of the people from from that team into 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 CRM. Um, and we sort of created like a, a full um, comms, uh, comms, customer comms team that now takes care of all of the um, the comms advice. But that's sort of how the the journey went. We proved the proved the value, and then we brought people into specific areas to unlock more value. And then the next step from here would be that now that we're starting to have a much better understanding of potential growth for each area we're going to start investing more in, in, in those specific areas, whether that's tech, media spend, or um, people, that's TBC, and that will be a business decision that we'll, we'll make along the line. But once we unlock those, that kind of growth, that's sort of how the team continues to, to grow and, and so on. Very interesting. I have a few leading questions onto that, right? Uh, one is... Uh, when you So in short, you're, you know, first of all, actually, what channels... Uh, currently CRM teams tackle? Is it, you know, the traditional email channels? But I think you also mentioned media in there. Uh, so is there also like a, a lot of different channels? Like, I don't know, uh, maybe in Germany, I know that uh, the the letters you receive are actually quite a big lever. Uh, but 
you know, what are some of the channels that you employ? And does it also vary locally? For instance, like in Japan, maybe people like to receive SMS. Or I know in India, uh, people send a lot of SMS and uh, WhatsApp marketing is big. Uh, whereas here, it's it's almost non-existent. So, you yep. know, how does the channel look like? For, and also, is it localized? So, the channel mix is uh, primarily... So, back to when I joined two and a half years ago, we were email, mostly email only. I think 99% of the comments that we were sending were, were email. There were a few push notifications that were transactional. Uh, now the mix is sort of has grown a little bit. We've got email push notifications, some in product messages. I know people call them in app and whatever, but we we sort of do them uh, both in 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 the app and uh, on on web. So we call them in in product uh, messages. Those are the three main um, channels. Um, and then to answer your second part of the question, if once we identify the growth potential in specific areas, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to put more resources into 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 those areas. So, for instance, if we end up with India being a, a massive opportunity for for us, we will start looking into region like localized channels. But we're not quite uh, quite there yet. But at some point, I do see that each region will be it's more or less its own little. Thing, and then we need to adapt to whatever the the customers in those regions uh, want. And as you mentioned, for instance, China is probably another good example. Um, the channels used in China generally for, for communicating with customers are very different. Uh, WeChat and all the other sort of super apps um, mm. <laughs> are, again, a sort of another massive potential for us if we are to sort of start growing in, um, in China. But back to your question we're not quite uh quite there there yet but that's the kind of direction in which we're uh when you're going because ultimately we need to again go back go back to the cliche that the right channel right time right customer right message and that will differ across the the world because as you as we mentioned earlier someone in china or someone in india or someone in japan or someone in the us is very different to even a German, a French person, or a Romanian one, or a, a, a British um, person. So, absolutely, we're not quite there yet, but that's the direction in which we're we're going. Got it. And I think also uh, one other question is around the team structure because I I know you mentioned it briefly, but uh, so if I understand correctly, it's almost like a in Berlin. I think we have Delivery Hero, which has this model, and a lot of other global organizations adopt this model where they have like a global team who is responsible for let's say the transactional and the technical bits of putting everything together and then the localized teams typically use that as a template and then just build upon that to personalize further for different markets Uh, but they typically also sit in the global teams but whereas i think for uh, food panda and things like that they also have local teams sitting in the country because if eid is coming around then you want to be able to you know send out comms for that so how does that look like for wise and how do you like sort of uh differentiate between these uh responsibilities within the crm team yeah it's more or less what you explained but with a small caveat so there is let me go back to the, the sort of structure so we've got 
consume on the let's call it marketing slash lifecycle side. I'm not going to talk about transactionals and product comms and and everything. But we've got three main teams on on sort of growth. Uh, one is uh, consumer global. The other one is consumer regional, and then the third one is business. Um, mm. The at some point I think business will also be uh, global and regional, but then we need to un- un- unlock a, lo- a little bit more uh, growth in there before we we take that decision. It all goes down to to numbers and unlocking growth, um, and that's probably one of the thing that I like the most about Wise. It's if you have impact, you have a lot of freedom to 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 do stuff. And grow, continue to grow your your area as much as you can. You don't necessarily depend on other teams. You don't necessarily depend on sort of if I don't know three other teams don't do that well. That's not going to impact uh, and, um, your team or sort of all of the other teams at at, at Wise. So um, the the business team is still a, just a global team that takes care of sort of global stuff. And then on the consumer side, we have a regional and a global team. The global team is matched to the products that we main products that, that we have and then the regional team is matched to the regions that we we've got so as i mentioned earlier we've got apac uh uk north um, latam europe and sort of the the rest of the the world the difference to what you mentioned is that it's indeed a lot of the things happen on the global side and then they sort of transition down to to regional to make it more personalized but what we're trying to build is a two-way um, avenue where something that's built locally can also translate into something that then becomes uh, becomes global. So, for instance, if, let's say, onboarding is a massive problem in APAC, and then the APAC team goes and, and builds something for, for onboarding, um, that is then useful for all the other regions or sort of a global approach, uh, we will sort of scale it from an APAC thing to a global uh, global thing. The same way as if onboarding is is a is a global problem, we'll start global and then go on on uh, on region. So it's a it's a two way avenue that we wanna uh, that we wanna build because that will one allow us to solve more problems at the same time, and also not create blockers in terms of oh global hasn't done this, I'm not gonna touch it. No, if that's a problem for your audience. You go on and, and solve it, and then at some point, um, global will pick it up if that's a priority for um, for for them. So one, we we avoid clashes. Two, we solve more problems at the same time, and then three, uh, which I think it's ultimately more uh, the most important bit is we don't end up solving the same problem in five different uh, regions, and we have five different people solving more or less the. The same problem because that's one of the things that used to happen in the in the past when various different people around the the business were uh, were trying to more, probably solve the same thing in different um, in different areas, but they weren't necessarily communicating to 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 each other. So that's the the structure that we have, and that's the reason why we we have it that way. Very nice. Uh, it's super interesting to me because I always, you know, I always have this question uh, which is once you have such a large team there are two natural uh, problems or challenges that come in right one is for instance even measure something like measurement right Uh, do you go then local and 
you know, sort of have the same metrics for everyone so that you can analyze uh, which markets might need personalized help versus which might not. Um, also, I think it's super interesting because you, for instance, you have different markets and I imagine product adoption is looks completely different across geographies because uh, just what I said, right? Like my dad might not feel even convenient, comf- comfortable with doing something uh, like this, um, you know, a transaction through WISE, whereas I might be way more familiar with it just because I'm here and um, and I might be more trustworthy. So uh, one question from, from that for you is how do you manage these processes within teams uh, in terms of just team measurement, right? Like do you have, uh, and you can go into as much detail as you want, but what I'm trying to imagine is like what kind of meetings do you have or do you have kpis that you uh, track and who within the team sort of talks with engineering product and marketing teams to get that overarching themes for the organization a lot of questions yep. uh, but go as deep as as you'd like cool um i think in terms of measurement so i mentioned the three main areas that ultimately feed into to ltv those are the same across different like across all regions and all uh, products so we're interested obviously in new customers the product adoption and the sort of monthly active customers reactivation and 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 so on so these are standards for for everyone what is mm-hmm. in the power of every team is to decide which one's the most important one for their region slash their product um in APAC, for instance, they may want to focus more on product adoption, while in the UK, which is a more mature market, you focus more on sort of monthly active customers, for for instance. Mm. That's down to teams and uh, to some extent to, to individuals, and that's where some sort of some of the autonomy um, comes in. They ultimately choose that every more or less every six months, and this, they will be like, this is the area that I'm, I'm going to try and fix for the next um, six months and then they start reporting on on that at channel level we look at all three areas but then we will naturally see more impact on on one than uh, than the other if more work happens on uh, in in sort of that specific um, area um, we try and set especially if again if it's if it's a common theme across regions and products we will set that as a priority at the channel level and be like for instance the for the next six months we focus on product adoption and we make sure that people like we get to we make sure that people are aware of of all of our products and make the most of uh most of them uh, but if there are specific problems that they need to solve either in a specific global product area or in a sort of regional one um, they have the the liberty to go on and uh, and and sort of solve that uh, that problem. To me, ultimately, whatever unlocks the sort of highest amount of growth and gives the sort of best customer experience, um, that's sort of the way we should prioritize stuff. Because usually, when you fix or you help customers solve a big problem for them, and then the same goes with I guess with product teams, they they solve the the biggest problems for for customers. And if there's any problem that we can solve through CRM or comms in in, in general, we will go in and do it. And that's what's going to unlock the sort of um, highest highest growth. We're not necessarily chasing, and that's been proven I think time and time again at Wise. You're not chasing revenue or volume per se. You're chasing to fix a problem and then once you fix that problem that will automatically unlock uh more more growth and will make 
customers stick here? Will they will sort of transact more and and um, and so on? But that's how we 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 measure stuff at a channel level. We look at like all the main three areas, but ultimately for the next I don't know three to six months, one area may work on on a particular um, metric, while another area will will work on a on a different one. And also things like product adoption, as you mentioned in. Some countries will look different to to other mm. countries simply because, for instance, the card is not all available all around the world, or the account is not available all around the world. There's still some send money only countries, but that's absolutely uh, that's absolutely fine. Um, we will focus on the ones where we can actually make a, an impact, and not gonna go and uh, I think some people call it like spamming people just for the sake of getting another. I don't know. A million or two in, in extra volume. That's not the the reason why we're we're here, and that's the no reason why we we have a sort of CRM team is to the reason why we have it is to solve the the problems that we can solve with comms and un, obviously unlock uh, more more growth. Um, the second part of the question, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, was around who's working with engineers and uh, like different um, areas of the the business. And that's an interesting one because, for instance, every, let's say, region slash product owner on our end will have a pretty good relationship with the product manager. Um, on for So, for instance, if there's someone in North America, they will have a pretty good relationship with people, with product managers and sort of take care of all of the North um, uh, products. And the same for someone who works on interests uh, or whatever the latest investment uh, products we've got, they will work closely with those uh, PMs. Um, on the engineering side, we have a team that's called Marketing Platform, uh, which takes mm-hmm. care of basically all of the integrations in marketing and uh, Braze and sort of the data integrations that we, we've got are more or less under their um, their their remit. So we work very closely with with them. They are not embedded in the the the, the team, but they are dedicated to to marketing and helping marketing teams. So we don't have to necessarily wait for for product engineers to to prioritize um, anything. Sometimes we do work with product engineers as well, but there's not like a sort of an exclusive um, relationship with them. Most of the data that we get, for instance, comes from uh, the marketing platform team as well as the sort of dedicated analyst, which again, that helps us with all the analysis, making sure that sort of all the data points are, are fine. We've got a technical CRM manager that takes care of all the technical stuff and is the basically the liaison between us and uh, marketing platform uh, engineers because we needed someone who can speak both engineering mm. language and then and, and then marketing language as well because sometimes and that's my experience from a lot of other places is not that you're not aligned or you don't want the same thing but sometimes for a marketing person what a, an engineer talks about is too technical and then vice versa if an engineer talks to a marketing person they will be like oh i don't unnecessarily understand all of the uh, which is obviously little things and you you working in an area, I think that like if I talk about this, everyone will understand. But that's not always the um, the the case. So that's more or less how we we work. We've got various different relationships with um, customer service, for instance, um, on particularly on 
transactional um, comms, mm. but more or less uh, the person who's in charge of um, their specific product area or the, the region, they are the ones who work with PMs uh, and sort of product more, more generally. And then they go to the analyst or the technical CRM manager if they need specific uh, help with data points, with analysis and, um, and so on. Um, the other part uh, is the creative side, obviously. Um, we have a marketing uh, branding creative team uh, that works mm-hmm. uh, specifically with, with marketing and they work more or less as, a, as an agency. So we brief stuff to, to them and then work with them through the, the creative. And I think hopefully I didn't miss anyone, but these are the sort of main stakeholders that we, uh, we work with. Very interesting. Are these relationships uh, concrete in the sense that uh, are they formalized as regular catch-ups or are these relationships that you, you typically have and if there's something that pop, pops up, then you go and, you know, you have that pathway? It's not as formalized as I would like them to, to be and I'll be sort of fully transparent there. I think it, <laughs> we're still different people have different relationships with their PMs. Uh, there's there's people in the team who have regular catch-ups. There's people in the team who just do it on an, an ad hoc basis. That's something that we're currently working on more generally, sort of the relationship between product and um, and, and marketing and how do we formalize that a little bit uh, better. Um, it will be more or less a CRM-first uh, approach generally because if it doesn't, if it's something that doesn't work with, existing product uh, existing existing customers um mm. it's highly unlikely to sort of work for for other acquisition channels for um for instance so we're working a little bit more on, on formalizing uh, that so right now it's not as sort of clear cut as it as it could be and it kind of goes down to whatever the relationship is at that uh, sort of in that region or sort of that product uh, product level Absolutely. Makes sense. Um, cool. One last thing that I wanted to actually talk to you about is how you decided to not communicate uh, when you launched a new, I'm going to call it a savings account, but uh, but uh, the reason I'm interested in this is because a lot of times it's hard for teams um, to not send something when they actually launch something. And I found that super interesting. So maybe uh, tell us a lot. Uh, tell us a bit about the product itself and why. Did, I know we already had this conversation, but uh, just like why did you decide to not send out a communication? Um, I think that's interesting, and then for I think for everyone's context, um, there's various different ways. So let me go back to the the problem in the first place. Um, the way banks work is you keep the money with them and then they uh, either sort of keep them with the central banks or Bank of England, European Central Bank, the Fed and, and, and so on, or they uh, lend it to, to other people. That's basically how. And then they make interest out of these, uh, basically out of your deposits. Um, so the problem there at the moment, especially in the UK, I'm not 100% sure if that's the same in, in all countries i understand it's a very different uh landscape and uh for instance in france there there's a slightly different uh, but in the uk for example and then in europe to some extent um banks don't always give you a lot of interest 
either on savings or on your current accounts. For instance, my current account uh, with my bank that I'm not going to name, um, <laughs> it gives me zero uh, percent interest on my current account. And I think my savings account is 0.9% or something along those uh, those lines. When the central, like the Bank of England, because that's the sort of central bank in the UK, the interest rate there is 5%, which would it's probably going to, like most people think, is going to grow tomorrow to maybe 5.25 and, and so on. So all of that difference between 0.9, and I'm not saying zero, it could be zero, but 0.9 and 5, that's money that's sort of made using more or less the money that I keep with the with the bank. And that's not necessarily passed back to, to customers. At Wise, as I mentioned earlier, we're not a bank per se. And then we don't want to do the, like the way we look at things is like, people should have control of their own money. And then if it's mm. money that we make with your money, you need to get most of them uh, most of them back. So there's various different ways in which we do this. So for instance, in, in Europe, we have a mechanism that's called cashback. And that's the one that you've uh, experienced. In the UK, we've got a, an investment product that's called interest that basically you get, if the Bank of England rate is 5%, you're probably going to get... 4.75 back when any money whether it's current account savings account doesn't doesn't matter going back to your example which is the sort of european one um was that again product teams are always looking a way of giving money back to to customers and that's how we ended up like how we usually scale we drop our prices for specific routes so if it becomes cheaper to send money from usd to inr we will drop the price for, for that. And then obviously that will sort of pass back to, to people. On the account side, given that we're not a bank in the sort of pure sense of the world, well, the word, we cannot give interest the same way as, as banks do. But that shouldn't stop us from actually giving people uh, money back. And then cashback is one way of, uh, of, of, of doing it in, in, in Europe. The, re- the reason why we decided not to, um, to communicate was that for most people, the, the amount of money that they will get back is fairly low. Because, for instance, if you have a thousand pounds in your, uh, in your bank, a thousand euros in your bank account, I think the... But, European Central Bank rate is something like 2.5% on an yearly basis. So if you do the maths, it comes up to, I don't know, maybe a pound a month or like a few pounds, a, a, a few euros a, a month. So what we didn't want to do is basically tell people there's this cashback that's going to come back to you and basically raise everyone's expectation and be like, oh, I'm going to make a, a massive amount of, of money because that's not the case. It, it really depends on how much money we make on sort of your deposits and then we'll give you back as much as we as we can so we thought that it's much better delight like it's a better delight moment when you actually get the money from from your bank or some for from from wise as opposed to sort of promising something and then people being like oh i only got two or three or four or five euros um that's obviously the it's not that we didn't want to give you more but that's basically the amount of money based on your uh, on your holdings with with us the more you hold the more you will get back in, in the in the in the long term um but we thought it was a much better delight moment to sort of see the money in your account and be like oh 
I got five pounds from from Wise, um, and then come with an email where we explain why we did this and sort of um, exactly. basically how it works, as opposed to announcing it like with I don't know with party poppers and and, and things like that. And then be like, oh, I only got like five five years because ultimately it's for most people it's not necessarily the amount of money but it's the the idea behind it and that's one of the things that we're trying to to solve at the moment is people starting to care about these things anymore because it's ultimately their money it should be their choice um and whether your sort of pot is worth five pounds or five euros that's ultimately your money not mine not someone else's uh, not like a uh, sort of I don't know an executives or um, sort of we will yeah that's the kind of um, the kind of thinking behind behind why we did what we did and um, it's ultimately we hope it, it's going to help people understand a little bit better that that's again their money their choice that's how I uh, I call it. I completely attest and I, I have been on the receiving end of this. Um, so I, I, it's almost like finding money in your genes, you know, um, effect where you find five euros and suddenly this is like so cool. Uh, whereas if you had communicated that prior uh, to, you know, to sending it, then it would have made no or less effect. I also yep. found, by the way, like this is, such a cool way also that can be replicated for different um, environments. For example, a lot of subscription apps, for instance, they offer these promotions when you are ending your uh, retention or, or ending your subscription length. Um, and I always, I, what I thought of it when you told me about this is maybe, you know, there's a way where we already unlock a trial, right? Or if we see you're using our product, we unlock a trial we don't even let you, uh, so we let you discover it and then send the messaging saying, by the way, uh, you know, this is how it's going. And there's a lot of use cases on this surprise and delight factor, I'd say. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then to, to sort of add a little bit more flavor to this, it's ultimately the way we see this is has to be a normal thing. That's not necessarily, you don't need to make a lot of noise around something that's normal. It's like, if I would tell you, like, I'm going to give you money, but then you then realize, oh, it's my money. So why are you making a big fuss about, <laughs> about this? I'm just going to give it back to you because, it, again, it's your money. You, you, like, you doing business with Wise or any other bank, that's ultimately a, a sort of two-way conversation. Yes, we will keep a fee because that, that's going to be transparent, but that's not never going to be, like, 50% of your money. I think I, I don't know exactly the the numbers, but for instance, in the UK, our fee is like zero point two percent of the the money. So, and there's another fund fee and, and so on. But ultimately, you'll get as close as possible to what would you get if you keep your bank your money with the European Central Bank or Bank of England, which for a normal person like us, and then it's not a massive bank, that's virtually it's virtually it's literally impossible. You can't just go to the European Central Bank and say like, "Hey, can you keep a thousand euros for for me?" They're probably <laughs> gonna think you're crazy <laughs> or something along those uh, those lines. And yeah, ultimately, it's a normal thing, and it has to be normalized. Um, and we, I genuinely believe that in five, ten years, this thing is not gonna be um, sort of. It's not. It has to be celebrated. It has to be normalized. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then people would have a lot more control over their own um, funds and choose what to do with their, their money and get the returns that they, uh, that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just yesterday, I got charged for Audible for two months and I realized that I never knew I had a subscription. And I was always almost wondering, like for a company like Amazon, it wouldn't be unusual to send me a message saying, by the way, we saw that you're not using your account, so we are refunding the amount and they didn't do that. But I wish I, I, I was thinking that if they had, it would be it would definitely make me choose Audible over any other platform yep. if I ever wanted a subscription. I um, don't want to name and shame, but you know, in Amazon Prime, when you there's an option for them to send an email a few days before your subscription expires. I tried it two or three times. I never got an email. I'm not sure whether there's <laughs> something wrong with my inbox or anything, but um, yeah, I never got a, an email. And it's, yeah, it's one of the biggest companies. Out there. I'm not saying there's like, I don't know, I might be in a control group. I might be having issues with my, my inbox. Yeah. But these kind of practices, I think most people would appreciate the transparency. Uh, but, and then you're right. It's not just a financial services area, which is probably more a bit more of a sensitive area. It's your money and stuff. But even with things like subscriptions, a lot of people, and I always get sort of pretty mad when I get charged for something that I was like, oh, completely, one, I completely <laughs> forgot I had it. And then two, it was kind of sneaky to sort of get the money without any any notice. And then also, Absolutely. yeah, most, in most cases, and that's something, because I worked in a subscription company before, the second sort of once you renew your, your subscription, I've rarely seen comms done around this to, to, to celebrate it or something like, hey, thanks for choosing us again. Because I think in most cases, it's, it's the sort of issue that we, you probably didn't know you had a, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 your, your subscription was renewing. So let's just like, keep it quiet and, and not say anything about it because um, you're all taking a seat in your, in your bank account. But maybe a bit more uh, sort of transparency there wouldn't, wouldn't help. Uh, would, wouldn't yeah be a bad thing um, yeah completely i i agree man and uh this was super fascinating by the way i loved this conversation uh, any last thoughts that you want to add on any opportunities or problems that you are uh, currently thinking of that you want to talk about uh, i leave um, it up to you yeah it's one thing that i think a lot of other people um have struggled with or sort of found a, a bit of a, of a challenge, especially in, in, in product-led companies, whether they are fintech or, I don't know, I've worked in, in, in others. I think the value of a CRM team or value of marketing in, in general is sometimes not as obvious because everything is like, oh, this is a, such a great product. So for instance, at Wise, we think that 70% of our, well, no, we know that almost, 60 to 70 percent of our growth comes from word of mouth but there is an element in word of mouth that it's a it's a in my view it's a marketing there's a marketing component in word of word of mouth i don't want to take away anything from a really good product like like wise um but even again with the the crm team the the problem that we faced initially was one sort of show, proving the the value but then once you prove the value is make everyone understand, make everyone across the business understand the, that particular value and assign it to uh, to your team. I know that's a 
a common theme in in sort of product-led companies and that's probably one of the reasons why we don't see that much crm going on around these 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 companies mm-hmm. um or is not necessarily the the same the same kind of and it, it hasn't had, it doesn't have to be the same kind of crm as in an e-commerce or a subscription business or in i don't know gambling or gaming and and, and so on because again different audiences different different ways of, of doing it but i've seen that in every single company they leave crm towards the I know 10 11 year mark and there's so much catch up to to play i joined wise when the, we literally like the, the the week before we turned 10 i joined joined memorize i think around their ninth or tenth anniversary as well and i joined carwa around the, their sort of ninth and tenth <laughs> anniversary so and then in my work with uh one of the uh, startup of some friends called racket pal um it was very interesting to see the impact of CRM on sort of at the very beginning of a, a company. I'm not saying to hire a CRM person because that might be too too expensive, especially in a sort of product-led company and you need to figure out product market fit and then all of the other bits and pieces. But one point I wanted to make, I think it's companies out there should start thinking about the value of CRM earlier on in the process, even if there's no immediate impact because once you grow and get to a million users you'll have all of those journeys in place you'll have learned a lot of uh, from some of the testing that you've done over the the first few years and then you, you're not going to have to play catch up with uh with everything and obviously the retention i know that's we can probably do a completely separate discussion <laughs> on, on retention for for sort of startups that's probably you, most companies think to start to think about retention properly when the bucket starts to leak more than you can <laughs> you can pour, <laughs> uh, pour in. Um, but yeah, I think that's a one thing that I think CRM is in a very good position to bring in a product like company and make people think about these things a little bit more and also help throughout the the process because. Even in product-led companies, I think product and marketing working together can unlock significant growth uh, for for the, for the company. Over, they don't have to be separate. And then that's been proven at Wise every single time we've we've done it. That's been proven in other um, companies as well. Those two functions they should more or less work together. And that was the the last thing that. Yeah. I, uh, that no, it's a, it's a very interesting because also uh, I second that. Uh, and just like on that point that if you do start after 10 years, you have such a big loyal group of users who trust you. And then if you just start implementing CRM, then it's CRM is the backbone on how you communicate to your users when they don't, when they're not using your product, right? Like to inform them, to educate them to whatever, right? And just imagine like the technical backlog of things that you need to get uh, to to just be able to understand where you know to your cliche uh, fundamental uh, to get uh, you know who the message should be sent to what should we send and when should we send it only getting those three pieces would be like a massive massive task right and more important your product is more difficult it is uh, for you to get there as well yeah, and then again, the more complex it gets and the more people you have to in your audience, 
the longer the time it takes for you to figure uh, figure these bits out. And then even on our end, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be fully transparent. We don't have every single thing figured out and there's so much more that we can, can do. And then the, it's, we've played catch up for a very long time and I, I don't necessarily think we're right there, but we're getting closer to it. But there's again, so much more that we could, could, could do uh, that could have probably honestly been done before, but maybe one or two or three years uh, before you can sort of start thinking. But I understand why companies usually are reluctant to this because there's probably not going to be a massive initial impact and it's going to take two or three years. While if you get someone at the 10-year mark, you'll see impact more or less um, straight away. But from a loyalty retention perspective, I think the long-term game becomes a bit more complicated the longer you leave it until you actually start thinking about um, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ander. Uh, it was super interesting and uh, a very early morning conversation. <laughs> we were wondering if we are going to be lazy or awake. I think I'm wide awake now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, same, same, same. Well, thanks, for, thanks for having me. That was really, really interesting. And uh, Of course. Yeah, we, should, we should do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Next topic, I'm going to uh, re-invite you for a bigger one. Uh, thank you again for being here and I'll uh, link out to your LinkedIn so people can reach out to you uh, if they wanted to have such nice and interesting conversations around CRM, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'll try and do more of you. I promise.